Blog Talk Radio. your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a certified reconnected healing practitioner, sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that perhaps is already happening online now. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you cannot continue to listen online, please just call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via phone or make sure to use your Bluetooth if you are driving about. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. With Audible.com, you can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want, and you can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. We have a very different show tonight. You know, we're, we're talking about sea turtles, and we'll be speaking with a first-time author who has written a multi-award-winning work of fiction. 
And by multi-award winning, there are at least, I think there are at least four awards that she has won. They are the Writer's Digest Self-Published Ebook Awards for 2013, First Place Fiction, Nautilus Book Awards 2014, Silver, Young Adult, Next Generation Indie Book Awards 2014, Gold for Children's Juvenile Fiction, and the Gold Mom's Choice Award Honoring Excellence. You know, we've discussed fictional books before on the show, but as most of the listeners know, that's really rare because, you know, we try to stick to things that raise consciousness and make us aware of things, and sometimes fiction doesn't do that. This book, however, Elizabeth's Landing, is one of those times when what is written is so inspiring, thought-provoking, and hopeful. It really speaks to your heart because it, it tells us how young people can truly make a difference in the world. So it's very inspiring and, you know, it's just good for the soul. My guest is the author, Katie Pye, former executive director of the Yolo County, California Resource Conservation District. She volunteers for the Mendocino Coast Writers Conference at the Point Cabrillo Light Station and with the Threshold Choir. With her camera in hand on her daily walks along the ocean or redwood forest trails, this is what provides her inspiration and entertainment. And she has been known to talk to local tree frogs and hummingbirds and turkeys and sometimes coyotes. And she is delighted that she's able to do that, yet she is not surprised when they actually talk back. And I find that just wonderful. She has a website and a blog, both of which have a lot of information on sea turtles. And I do want to mention part of the book sale profits supports sea turtle conservation programs. Now, her website is www.katypie.com. So that's www.katypie.com. And you'll find the link to her blog on that site as well. So, Katie, welcome to Energy Awareness Radio. Thank you so much for taking time to join us. How are you being? I am being well. We had rain today in California, so I'm floating on the mist, I must say. Did you need we the rain? Needed. Oh, desperately. You... California is in a horrible drought, so we're, uh... we're very blessed today. Okay, well, you could have had what we had the other day. I'd have gladly assented to you. <laughs> <laughs> Funny I how that the, works, uh... isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish that the uh, currents worked that way so we could have free change when needed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and look at all the snow. I mean, in Buffalo, that's really only about eight hours from me, and it, it, they were inundated with feet upon feet of snow, and yeah. highways are closed. And I'm thinking, really, what are we in for? You know, it's, I know. Um, it's, I know. it's never fair for anyone, you know, but we all get our just desserts, I guess. So and it cycles around. About, yes, it does, and everybody gets their turn. <laughs> Your book is entitled Elizabeth's Landing, and you are a first-time author, and yet this book, oh my gosh, it it just reads as though it were written by, you know, somebody who's a well-seasoned author and has so many books under their belt and to their credit and loads of awards. It really is no wonder at all that you are the recipient of these four book awards. That's just phenomenal. Kudos to you. Were you surprised or, or maybe even shocked when the awards started coming in? I really was. I mean, I of course, I love my book and I love my characters, but there's a, I am a first-time author, and it is a difficult world being not only a first-time author but a self-published author. So um, I took a chance and, um, you know, applied for these awards and, uh, you know, thought, well, who knows what will happen. So when um, I got recognition first from Writer's Digest, I, I just couldn't believe it. I... I <laughs> It took me days and days to, you know, stop breathing, uh, panting heavily with excitement, so to speak. So uh, it's been a real, um, just wonderful, and I, I am so grateful to um, the the judges who could see in the story what I was trying to get through. So and acknowledge. Oh it. gosh. You did such a great job getting the point across, and, and well chance take well played, you know, to take that chance. Very good, you know. Sometimes when we do stuff, we think, well, I'm just throwing it against the wall to see what will stick, and That's it right. just keeps sticking and sticking and sticking. And well done because you got all these awards, and they are not these are not little awards. These are huge. These are. People really want these awards. It's not, you know, something that's just a local thing. This is global. So I'm very impressed. And as I started to, you know, read the book, the story itself, 
there are just so many pieces to it. You know, saving the turtles, a, a young girl coming into her own power. Uh, she's facing challenges, working toward a goal, another young girl with disabilities. It is so all-encompassing, and it's everything we speak to about here on Energy Awareness Radio. And that's why when I met you at the Book Expo America in New York City in May, and I picked up your book, I didn't really even – I mean, I read the back cover, and I knew there's something to this. You just It grabs you from the back cover when you start to read what it says this is about, and I knew there's going to be more than this than I think right now. And it was such a pleasure to meet you, and you spoke so well that I wanted to have you on air. But we didn't really talk all that much. As, as you know, I was there for the one right. day, and I was rushing through. So right. what inspired you to write this book? Well, you mentioned that I was um, head of a resource conservation district in, here in California, and for those who don't know what those are, they are state-supported and local-supported um, groups of uh, generally farmers, or uh, certainly landowners, um, who come together and look at problems within their, their natural resource environment. Usually these are outside of the cities, but not always. Um, Yolo County is near Sacramento, California, so it has a lot of agriculture. Um, and so they, this whole resource conservation district idea was started during the Dust Bowl. Uh, we have net what's now called the, uh, was called then the Soil Conservation Service, and um, these resource conservation districts were put in place for locals to drive the agenda on how we were going to solve the problem of the Dust Bowl. Well, it's now spread across the United States, and there, there are districts all over that do this work that we did. Before that, I was involved with a local gravel mining issue on a local creek. Um, we all drive on roads and build houses and, and um, have you know, cement back porches and driveways, et cetera. Uh, and so we need gravel to make those things. And it just so happened that our local stream had a very high grade of gravel that goes into making concrete and, and asphalt. So that had been mined for years, but it was now widening and deepening the creek and causing a lot of other devastation. And people were very concerned, including the Resource Conservation District. So I got involved with that process for 10 years in fighting to get the gravel mining hopefully out of the county, which we weren't able to do because it was just so precious for building that it, it never was going to happen. So we did get some good regulations in place. So, so that led to me going back to college in my mid-30s and graduating in my 40s um, with a degree in resource conservation and communication. And so when I retired to the coast, I started thinking, I started writing little pieces and and getting some good feedback from people, and I decided I was going to, well, let's see if I can write a novel. So um, <laughs> based on the kind of the idea that I wanted to be able to share what I had learned, both as an activist and as someone not on the other side of the fence, but more in the, you know, the straight, narrow kind of part of, of problem solving, and so I decided to have that be the center of the book, this young woman who who gets the opportunity and seizes the opportunity to grow and to, instead of taking her pain inside, which I certainly did as a young person um, to great degree, to put it outside of herself and connect with other people in a, in a, a problem that is really worldwide, but it was certainly at her, her beach step, so to speak, um, at the beginning of the story. So my background and my interest in writing and I just love sea turtles as well as a lot of other creatures um, <laughs> for the basis. That, it's, it's wonderful because the characters are so well developed. It's not just a story about a girl and sea turtles because there's so much more to it. It's about her family life and and the dysfunction that goes on there and you know, at one point, I did not like Grandpa, okay? I just didn't like him. <laughs> didn't only, like him at all. Only one point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the first point. I, probably until, well, I can't give the book away, but, yeah, it, for a very long time in the book, a long, 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 long time in the book, I was like, I don't like this man at all. He's mean. <laughs> you know, but you really developed the characters well and built the, the side story around this so beautifully. It 
it's just crazy amazing that this is a first-time writer because, I mean, I read a book a week for this show. And I have to say, there are some books that come in, and I read them, and these people are like, this is their 35th book. And it's like, look, they should have given up 25 books ago, okay? Because (laughs) this is just not something I want to put on air. And I'm reading your book, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really well-developed. It's so good. Now, even though this is fiction, is it based on any real experiences? I mean, I know we have had oil spills, so that was yeah. really good to bring that into it. And, uh, and, and I have to say, a plug for um, Dawn detergent. <laughs> They're not paying for any advertising. But when I saw no. the first oil spill and they were cleaning the ducks, uh, all of the birds, with, with the Dawn because it really breaks up the green. I, I don't care how much they charge. That's the only dishwashing detergent that I buy because of that (laughs) because I couldn't believe they could use that and save these animals because it was heart-wrenching to watch on TV so this that part of of the book really started bringing back memories and things like that and it was very very interesting but is there anything else in the book that's based on real experiences that either you had or that you knew about that someone maybe close to you had well there there are a number of them um some were uh as part of a, a conversations with that I had with uh various sea turtle people who work in conservation and see these things on a daily basis um there were uh, a, a few of the the um um what am I trying to say here? More difficult circumstances uh, with the turtles that that came in part from real situations. Um, there was a beach that was going to be developed that had, that really was in the public trust, a, a local community, uh, and you know I couldn't believe that they were going to you know just pave it over, you know, or put it up for mm. for you know just turn it just turn against what what the public had said they had wanted. So you know I, I certainly massaged it and and made that its own story, but that's one of the circumstances. Um, so uh, and. Uh, my mind just went blank. Uh, some of the other circumstances, certainly around the, the turtles themselves and how the conservationists work with them, came from uh, my conversations with people like Donna Shaver at the National Seashore in, in uh, Padre, uh, yeah, Padre National Seashore in, in Texas outside of Corpus Christi and some other folks on South Padre uh, Island, Sea Turtle Inc. They work very hard to collect eggs, watch nests, they have patrols, find the nest, um, the incubation process, and how the, the releasing process. I did go with my husband to Texas um, to the Padre Island National Seashore in 2010 for the first hatchling release of the season, which was mm. um, in June after the BP oil spill. BP. It's the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. There are more actors here in that mess than just BP. Uh, you mm-hmm. know. But anyway, we know it by that term. Um, so it was really, uh, you know, wonderful and beautiful and also quite scary and sad, but they had no alternative but to release them because there was nothing else to do with them. They couldn't hold all the the sea turtles and the babies until, you know, things had been cleared that, that the water was safe. So, we, you know, who knows how much damage happened to the, the hatchlings. The, the research that you did is so incredibly detailed you you must have spent a lot of time researching this and and you can tell it was a labor of love to do so for you how long did you did you research this and then from that point how long did it take to actually write the book well it was it's never well for me it wasn't um a straightforward process like that Mm -hmm. Um, it was my first novel so there were a lot of it was a lot more ups and downs because not only was I doing the research and trying to develop the story and the characters and all of that creative process, but it was also research into learning how to write this form. A novel is its own form of and type of writing that has its own strictures and you know kind of rules, so to speak, um, to do it well. And so you know I came out of that process feeling like I had an MFA in, <laughs> in novel writing. Because I spent a lot of time with books and and in classes on how to do that, so um, it took me a, a total of about six years 
to do the whole process. Mm-hmm. I think I did the research problem with, you know, breaks and frustrations and, ah, I'm never going to get this done. It's not working. <laughs> and you know. Um, <laughs> so uh, about probably about a year and a half, I'd say, um, to do the research. But then you do the writing, and then you have to have people, like I had a wonderful vet, that um, sea turtle vet who helped with, he read, I mean, I outlined very detailed what happened to one of the turtle, the two turtles, and, you know, he sent back, this works, that doesn't, you know, da-da-da-da-da, checked my, my um, medical vet science, uh, and hopefully I got it right. So, and that's <laughs> the most, the most ex- uh, fun part um, was I, I sat with YouTube to watch uh, shrimpers because um, I had to write a part about going out and shrimping and turtles, et cetera. So I uh-huh. went watching, you know, shrimping all over the East Coast, the Gulf, et cetera, and I, to find something that clicked for me, and I found something I wrote, you know, page, 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 chapter, chapter, chapter. And uh, I met a woman by the name of Diane Wilson, who is uh, a, just a phenomenal activist and person. And uh, anyway, she's an ex-shrimper. And so uh, I told her I was looking for somebody to help me uh, make sure that part was right, and she kind of hesitated. And, and uh, she, the first question she asked me was, well, is Grandpa a gulf shrimper or is he a bay shrimper? I had no um. idea. Even after all my <laughs> research, there was a difference. <laughs> I said, I don't know. And she looked at me and she Shrimping said, is shrimping. Okay, I'll help you. <laughs> we spent uh, time together, and, uh, boy, she, I had to rewrite all of it. She said, this is not how we do shrimping in Texas. <laughs> okay. Oh. So, uh, bless her heart, she was terrific. So, anyway, that's long answer to a short question. No, that's great, because I think it's important for people to know that there's a lot of research that went into this, you know. there, mm-hmm. It's just so... You, that's the part. That's why you got the awards because you did all the work you had to do to make it a good book. Now, again, the title of the book is Elizabeth's Landing. So do tell, who is Elizabeth? Is she based on anyone real? The, no, I, I started the bo- uh, process and said I am not going to have any of me in Elizabeth. Well, yeah, good luck, um, <laughs> especially for a first-time author. So part, you know, part of her is me. She's she. Um, uh, was more self-assured in some ways and more plucky than me as a teenager. Um, but but I found, you know, a lot of her coming uh, through, filtering through me, which is certainly natural. I'm, I can't really tell how much. Um, other than that, I don't, none of the other characters are really based on anybody particular that I know. Um, so, nor are they. Okay, now see. I mean, my, fa- go ahead. I thought that maybe Becca was only because in the back of the book where you explain the acknowledgments, right. I thought the person with the disability that you went to to make sure her name was right. Becky. So I thought, oh, I wonder if Becky is Becca. No. No. Uh-uh. So, so <laughs> Becky is is a, a powerful uh, woman in her own right, um, and she is uh, very much an activist. She doesn't have the same personality as Becca, but um, I certainly uh, went to her to um, had her read those sections of the book to make sure that I hadn't, you know, said something really stupid. Um, and she caught some things. Uh, for example, um, uh, someone who uses a wheelchair to get around. I had Becca straight on to a, uh, one of the turtle tanks, and she said, "We wouldn't be able to do the motion you're having her do if unless she was sideways to the tank." And so, you know, that's just not something I, uh, with all the details you have to hold in your head and try and work through, it's not something that would have popped up for me. So that's that's how she helped. The other young woman um, that really motivated me to include someone with disabilities in the book, um, aside from my own family background, um, not my own, but my uncles and aunts, and um, uh, worked with people with disabilities, and, and further back, my great-grandfather, in institutions for for the deaf and um, the blind. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, the other young woman um, was help, was just I was so impressed with her whole family, her whole um, 
mode of just never kind of giving up and, and pushing through and doing just living life the way she needed to live life, you know. So uh, lots again, of nice I mean, models out there. Yes, yeah, and and you seem to find them all, and I think that not everyone necessarily does that when they write. They just, and, you know, they tell you to write what you know, and people do, yeah. and then they might, you know, embellish or ad lib, and you went and really found out how things should work, do work, so that you could have it done as accurately as possible. So, you know, well done on the research to to make sure that it was really, really accurate. Uh, It makes a difference to the reader. I think the reader can pick up that this is real because the whole time, you know, you watch documentaries and you believe everything that you see. And reading this book, (laughs) you knew this is very real. There is nothing here that, you know, is is false. And and you learn an awful lot as well. So. You know, well, yeah, that was it part was of my, my goal was to have it be um, a learning experience without it being a learning experience, you know, so that, mm-hmm. that the science and, and what's happening is folded into the story and into the characters and their reactions and the things that come up for them, um, uh, such as Elizabeth's relationship with her grandfather. Uh, that mm-hmm. that comes about in as natural a way as, as I, at least at that point, I could um, figure out how to do so that you don't feel like you're reading page after page after page of information. Get the information dump, which is difficult right. because part of the research is also culling what is necessary for the reader to have, getting yourself out of the way and trying to, and using other people to read your stuff so that mm-hmm. they can give you feedback. Yeah, you know, I really got bored toward the end of page 12. <laughs> you got to take stuff out. Um, well, so. you know, I learned so much about turtles, and what I got from your book, it's certainly not part of everyday school curriculum. You know, I found it fascinating. This, this actually, I think, would be a great book for an English lit class or even a science class because, as you Me said, too. it's not academic in form. <laughs> You know, it, it's yeah. absolutely not de- academic in form, and it's a fun way to learn. I I just cannot deny that I learned a lot after reading this book. It was, you know, a fun, quick read, and I wanted to read more. Uh, the only thing uh-huh. that stopped me, you know, it was very difficult to put down. The only thing that stopped me is I'd start reading at, say, 10, 1030 at night, and I'd, I'd know I, I have to get up at 5 tomorrow. I have a meeting That's at right. 730, you know, and I'd Good have night. to – you know, yeah, set the alarm clock. Read to, I'll only read to the next chapter. Oh, well, wait, that's only 10 pages. I can do that. I can do that. So it really it was difficult to put down. And, you know, listeners, books are a great I- gift idea. In this one, Elizabeth's Landing by, again, Katie Pye, K-A-T-Y, last name is Pye, P-Y-E, is most definitely one that everyone would love. It's not just for teens, young adults. It's Everyone would really love it. That's why the moms gave it the Excellence Award, you know. Uh, lots of life, life lessons in the book. So, again, go check out www.ktypye.com. I highly, highly recommend this. So, okay, let's see. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from. And many of the books are books that we've discussed on this show, including The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, The Courage to be Free by Guy Finley, A Message of Hope from the Angels by Lorna Byrne, and, of course, Dr. Bernie Siegel, who's been here numerous times. All you have to do is search for his name, and you'll see a number of his books on audible.com. There are so many books available from so many different authors. And the best part is you can listen to audiobooks on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our URL, which is audibletrial.com slash energyawareness, you get one free audiobook along with a one-month trial of the service. So go ahead and write that down www.audibletrial.com slash energyawareness and you'll be able to find books of interest to you. You know, we really appreciate all of our listeners and we're so grateful for the support that you provide us. So just remember that the site is audibletrial.com slash energyawareness and you can take advantage of this offering that they're providing to our show for our listeners. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, 
I want to talk about the sea turtle initiatives that you have and that you're familiar with because I think that's a really important part of the book. It's not just the story, which is great, but it teaches you so much. So tell us a little bit about the different, different initiatives and organizations that you're familiar with that deal with how to help preserve, you know, the sea turtles. Well, there are many, many throughout the world. Um, there are over uh, one site that people are interested. It, it's, I call it a clearinghouse, but it's, I don't know that that's a, really the correct term, but it's a good uh, uh, um, uh, aggregate of information and uh, connections to uh, different organizations throughout the world, uh, photos, research papers, etc. It's called seaturtle.org. And they have, um, as I said, photographs that scientists have taken of different species, not, and not just sea turtles. There are also some bird species, et cetera. They have a wonderful program that I used, um, and I think I'm going to go back to just for fun, uh, which is uh, you adopt a turtle. Uh, you know, not really. You don't get to have the turtle. But, uh, <laughs> I want the turtle. <laughs> that's right. What they're doing, what your money goes to, is supporting um, their their satellite tracking. When I first started with this story, I um, adopted a turtle called Sunny. It was a Kemp's Ridley, and it was satellite tagged. And for a year, I got to watch it. You can go to the website, you know, log on, build a, uh, an account there, and log on and watch your turtle and where it goes. And the satellite uh, transmitter is on glued to their back of the shell, and every time they come up to, uh, to the surface of the water and the, the antenna goes through the, the surface into the air, it, it clicks back up to a satellite and back down to the research center that, that owns the tracker. So you get these blips at least once a day, and so you can see where your turtle is going. They know using those where they feed, um, you know, when they're coming in to, to um, breed and to, to nest, uh, and the extent of their travels. Some turtles go, you know, pretty much around the world. They're just, it's amazing the distances that they cover. Um, so that's, that's one organization. They also have a list of groups that have voluntarily put up their information in their, quote, groups list. Um, there are over 200 organizations worldwide listed there with links to the organization. So you can find there, I think there are, I've forgotten now, I think there are about uh, 70 or so listed uh, in the United States alone. Um, countries you wouldn't think, like Italy, um, would have any connection with sea turtles. The Netherlands, um, England, Spain, they uh, make their way around the world. So all of these organizations do different things, and, and many of them do similar things. They can have a, adopt a turtle or adopt a nest program. They, uh, they can have a, a, a hospital um, unit where they bring in uh, turtles that have been stunned, cold stunned by, um, you know, when the temperature changes, they get too far north on the east coast, for example, feeding, and, for, you know, don't turn around in time to go to Florida, and they, they literally become a little floating ice cube, and if they mm. wash ashore or people find them, they will bring them in for rehabilitation, and then they are released when they're, they're ready, or if they've been injured, that kind of thing. Uh, your, your adopt a turtles um, monies go to help that sometimes. They have lots of education programs. They have, um, you know, go see them. Go see what they do. Uh, that's what we did in Texas. We went to, uh, like I said, we went to Sea Turtle Inc. on South Padre Island and talked to the people and, you know, saw the turtles that are being rehabilitated. Some of them can't be released, and so they're the, the ambassadors for their species. Uh, they even had a fellow there with his dog, which is a nest-searching um, dog, uh, and he goes out with the, the owner um, on an ATV, and, and his smeller is really good, and he finds nests a lot easier than, than uh, the human. And then they remove the eggs from that spot. They bring them to an enclosed area to incubate them, and they're protected there against, um, uh, you know, dogs, coyotes, raccoons in particular, other uh, um, crabs, that kind of thing, and then they're released when, that, when they hatch. 
Um, so there, again, there there are key organizations. Uh, Turtle Island um, Restoration Network has uh, a group called um, the Sea Turtle Restoration Group uh, pro Project that does a lot of um, uh, legal stuff. You know, that's another area. Um, Center for uh, Biological Diversity is another one that um, I, I um, support. Oceana. All, a number of these groups also do the take on the legal task of forcing government agencies to do what they are supposed to be doing in protecting these endangered species. So it's um, so it's so interesting. And now, going back to the question, are any of these characters based on anyone real? So the turtle Sunny in the book is based on your Sunny, or did you just yeah. you know what? I, what yeah. Okay. Yeah, I named Sunny. Sunny because I adopted a, I adopted the the turtle Sunny, and then yep. um, there was another Sunny I think that that um, was in one of the hospital um, turtle places. And the other thing about that that is so fascinating and helped my research so much was the turtle hospitals all often have um, uh, photographs and histories of the turtles they take in. So they name them, you find out when they were brought in, what their problems were, what they did to, to help them, um, how they're coming along in their rehab, and photographs if they release them, you know, photographs when there's a release. And so you get this whole picture of not only the, the miracle that, that this turtle has been found and, and helped, but um, a, a real sense of what it takes to protect and, and help these animals who are, are just so uh, threatened, you know. It, it is fascinating. I mean, I live on a lake, and we have these little box turtles, you know, uh -huh. and sometimes they come up to the house, and I turn them around so they can go back to the lake, and my husband's always yelling at me saying they know where they're going. I say, no, they don't. They're, they're going to cross the road and get squashed. I mean, they don't know where they're going. Clearly, the water is the other way. You know? yeah. I'm just well, trying to they, help them on the journey. During a certain part of the year, check, check on your box turtle and find mm -hmm. out when its nesting season is. Um, we were in um, uh, Connecticut, and they had turtles coming out of their little swampy pond area. And the day we left, she showed us where they had come, and they had laid their eggs um, there in their garden. So it oh. may be, you know, we have gotten in their way because, and it's the same. This is one of the problems that they have on so many beaches: is that mm -hmm. we built to the beach. We have lights that, that confuse not only the mother turtles, but especially the hatchlings when they're trying to get to the ocean. Um, mm -hmm. It makes them vulnerable to predators, uh, night predators, because most turtle, sea turtles um, uh, hatch at night for better protection. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that we've done as human beings to really get in their way um, of their natural processes. So, like many other species, they, they make the best of what they've got if they can, and your garden might, might be the best nesting place left. And, and I share everything I have with the animals because they were here first, and it was funny. When we first built the house, I'll never forget this, I was watching this tortoise. It was huge. It had to be like 18 inches across, and uh -huh. it was wa walking toward the house. And I'm thinking, why isn't it going around? Doesn't it see the house? I mean, clearly the house is huge, and it's, you know, for a turtle that size. And it gets probably three feet away from the house, and its head goes up, and it's like looking at, and I thought, oh, my God, we're in the way. This stupid house is in the way of where this turtle needs to go. So there yeah. I am outside saying, here, turtle, here, turtle. Now, the turtle's not going to come because I'm saying, here, turtle. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, turtle, come on, turtle. My husband's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, you're the poor turtle, the house is in the way. You know, I want to help the turtle, but I, I'm afraid if I pick it up. And he goes, like, don't touch the turtle. You touch the animals all the time. You're touching the deer. You're touching the I'm like, I like them. He's like, no. So he doesn't let me touch anything. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> They're very cool, and it did end up taking a right and then taking a left around the house and going to the water. And I have seen it okay. since, and I'm quite sure it's the same turtle. So, because they have a very long lifespan, don't they? Yes, they they can. Um, they're not sure about the sea turtles exactly how long they can live, but they estimate they certainly um, can live 50, even maybe to 100 years old. And many of them uh, don't come into um, uh, breeding age until quite after many years. The Kemp's Ridley can be 10 to 12 years, um, sometimes a little earlier. But uh, some of the bigger species, you know, 30 years they have to wait before they lay eggs, so their first clutch. So, you know, when they are 
are uh, drowned or um, you know have a boat strike and and die from that. Um, you know you've lost as as Elizabeth says, um, it's a generational thing. It's a generational mm-hmm. thing, and as we you know, lose turtles, you lose opportunity for those animals, any animal in the in this situation. You lose the young ones or you lose the breeders, and, and that's, you've lost a generation, generations, uh, you know, thousands of generations because yeah. you no longer have them there to, to nest. And that was one of the the horrible things about the oil spill was that it happened right as those mothers were turning away from the beach at uh, along the Texas coast where they laid their eggs to uh, and they were swimming toward Louisiana to feed and so that's and that's where the oil was coming and so they mm. were adjusting you know their their a food was contaminated or it disappeared uh, etc so um, it, it was a real and they still don't know the, the total devastation I saw there's a symposium the last two days uh, in Brownsville about the Kemp's Ridley, and um, apparently the the numbers are in, and the feeling is that it has it was doing great in its recovery before the oil spill, and now it's in a serious slide and maybe uh, headed toward extinction, and that's ah. the turtle. So yes. you know there were a lot of things, not just the spill, but but um, fishing. You know, fishermen went out and without the um, devices in their nets that let turtles, if they're scooped up in the net with shrimp, they get excluded. Uh, you know, extruded. It's an excluder device, but it actually extrudes them uh, out of the bottom of the net um, because they were in such uh, a rush to get, get. And Louisiana refuses to enforce uh, the federal. Um, excluder device laws on the books. So yeah, that's a shame. So, and it's and not I'm sure it's not, it's not. It's not well policed either. Oh, it's yeah. They don't. There's no Louisiana. way. And and they're you know they're not just the the inland fishermen. There are the big um, you know we all mm-hmm. eat most of us eat fish. Um, yeah. But their species are caught in different ways and things like long lines and gill nets that catch some of our more popular species are devastating on lots of of uh, other sea life including dolphins and whales turtles birds seabirds yep. they caught mm-hmm. in so you know you mentioned during the adoption process that they or not during the adoption process but you said that um, the turtles have a tracking device that's glued onto their shell okay so when you adopt a turtle Okay. It, can you get one that has that device, and can you track it online the way that you track Santa going across the globe on Christmas yeah. Eve? <laughs> oh, cool. Really? I mean, that's sure. just neat. That yeah. is really, and, really and neat. I, and and seaturtle.org is not the only place that has, um, I don't have any off the top of my head, but that, you know, they are around. Um, just look for them. They're not a lot of them around, you know, they because these are really scientific experiments. It's not just for our fun. Um, oh, they're, right. they're tracking these <laughs> turtles to, to really get information that's needed. Um, but we get to share share in all that. So um, yeah, you can you can look at you go online and you look and the turtles are named and and you can they they are all if they're in the in the tracking program they all have the the transmitters on their backs. And you and can so, adopt you know, one that's ill and a, that's been ill and or hurt is being taken care of in a hospital so that you can. They can supply it with the medications or the the treatments that they need. You know, um, the, you know these programs are uh, have paid staff, sure, but they are also highly supported by volunteers. So if you don't live in an area where there are sea turtles, that's fine. You can still help them uh, in a lot of ways. You know, certainly making donations to an organization that you find that you support uh, is is always needed. Um, uh, but doing things like checking about how uh, you know the f- fish you eat, how it's how it's uh, caught. Um, there, Monterey Bay Aquarium and Oceana have those kinds of, of charts you can look at. Uh, not my my big uh, boo right now are balloons. Uh, balloons yes. look like jellyfish. Plastic bags look like jellyfish. Little turtles and big turtles will eat just about anything that looks like their food. We've tricked them into um, thinking that this plastic bag is a jellyfish. 
and um, many die from getting them you know, in their systems and they can't get rid of them so, mm. or suffocate. So balloons, uh, mylar, and even if it says environmentally friendly, they do not break down. And there are, there's a site called um, uh, balloonsblow.org, which has lots of information about why balloons are not great and um, alternatives for using balloons at your parties, etc. Um, and the other thing is we're running out of helium. And helium mm. is important for scientific uh, stuff and for medicine. So um, I'm certainly not using balloons anymore. Right. Trying not to be and if too you, righteous about it. but. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you do, blow them up and as the kids leave. You say, right. okay, now we're going to have a popping party. And you just pop all the balloons. And, you know, and if they are environmentally safe, then you can put them in the recycle bin with the plastics. And that way... And, and it's educational. The kids are learning. You can have the fun. You can have the balloons as long as we blow them up with the air from our lungs and as long as we pop them. That's the fun. Fun's over because you don't want to hurt another animal. I also think that when, you know, to get the mom's award is great. So if anybody is looking for, everybody's always looking for a different gift to get someone. So get the book and then along with it, adopt a turtle. And the kids will learn because they will know the story and they'll really get a feel for what it's like to help the turtles. And then they'll have their own turtle to help and they can follow it. Years ago, I adopted a whale. Her name is Onyx. And I still get information, you know, because I I keep the adoption going. Uh, It's important to do this because everything is connected and it doesn't matter whether it's an animal or a human being or a plant, we're all connected and we all have a purpose on the planet and, and everybody needs to help everybody else. You know, it doesn't matter right. if it's outside of the species or not. Quite frankly, we should, we should be helping more of the species because some of the people within the species aren't exactly what we, <laughs> you know. But that's another show. <laughs> indeed, We indeed. won't go down that road, you know. But I you think it's great to make... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's great to like bundle it up and buy the book and then get the kids uh, a sea turtle and you can check out Katie's blog and you can check out her site. There's so much and your site is so comprehensive. There's a lot of information on there. I I checked it out earlier and uh, it's just fascinating and I know that I will be adopting a sea turtle and and now that I know that I can track it, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be able to track it just like I track Santa on Christmas Eve. This is so exciting, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because I do that too, (laughs) but everybody knows that. So, you know, uh, it's important <laughs> that we know what's going on on the planet. Um, That's right. And, you know, it's just, it's very, very interesting. This was such a, a, a labor of love and such a wonderful project. And, 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 you know, to give us this gift of your book and this knowledge in a fun way so that we could learn and help preserve something that is so important. Are there any other books in the offing that you are thinking about writing, perhaps? I don't have anything right in the offing at the moment. Um, I'm thinking of uh, where to go from here and getting, you know, part of this, uh, especially being a a self-published author, though traditionally published authors are facing the same thing, is that we have to get word about our work, uh, our books, out into the public, i.e. called marketing. And so that is my uh, my next MBA, is an MBA, (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great things are going. So that's where my attention has been. Once I decided to publish the book, then it was, all right, I've got to learn how to do the publishing stuff, and then I have to learn how to do the marketing stuff. And then now as uh, a year plus has gone by since the book has come out, I feel a little freer to begin to think of what might be other ideas um, you know, if, to come. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. What happened? Have you have you actually gone to say local school systems to introduce your book and give them you know give the English lit teachers and say ninth grade uh, to the books to use them as part of something in their you know one of the mandatory books that they have the kids read? I have gone to libraries, uh, I have gone to bookstores, and I have um, talked to some teachers though those things have not exactly taken off like a rocket. What I also have done is I've worked on some materials to do that or to at least provide for schools. I do have on my website a reader's guide to the book now, so Mm -hmm. teachers can use that. Um, There is turtle information that kids or teachers can access there. So that's a whole getting involved in going into the classroom and stuff is is a whole other life, actually. 
Um, but I do have some wonderful teachers and people, education people behind me, um, kind of helping me along the way to see if that's um, what I can do. I do live in a rural area on the coast, and it takes about two hours to get to any kind of population. Um, ah. We don't have schools here, but but in order to make it, it's like going and doing readings, you know. I'm perfectly yes. willing to do it. It's just um, organizing it. Yes, yes. Oh, well, I, you know, I think that it really should be part of an English lit class. I mean, some of the things that they they make you read, you know, they're good. I mean, let's face it, you know, the classics and everything, but this is really something that's different, and it does open up your heart because you do feel for so many of the different things that are happening to all of the characters because, yes, the primary, you know, plot is about the sea turtles. However, there's a lot of different subplots in it that, Really, you speak like I said. Grandpa just didn't like him. Just didn't like him. You know, you did a good <laughs> well, job writing it. Well, it is about relationships. You know, you know? Yeah, it is about absolutely. it is a mm-hmm. it is about getting beyond yourself to um, be in somebody else's shoes, as the old saying goes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we all yep. have to do that. And if we're gonna make this thing work here on the planet, we really have to do that. As much as I may want everything to stop and do things the way the experts I, I like think they should be done, you know, that's just too simplistic. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, every there are so many people on the planet and the numbers are growing and they all have the, some of the same but very different interests and backgrounds and cultures. And the more we can do to try to, to understand each other and make space for each other. I, I was, uh, a side note on that is I was listening to a podcast about um, list, people who do listening for a living, and this man was saying that a tribe in um, Tibet that he was studying the language of had a wonderful thing. If you had two families, and let's say one family had their goats grazing on the other family's ground and they were upset about it and they came together, how they work it is that the families change places in the discussion. And so that they, they are forced, though they do it willingly, to understand the other person's. Um, complaint or, you know, the side of why someone did what they did. And I just self-mediation. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. It's self-mediation. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done mediation, you know, a lot with different people. And, yeah, you're the person who has to be the mediator between the two so each person can see the other side. But because they don't have a mediator, they just do self-mediation, and that is a great tool. It's a great yeah. way to get to see somebody else's perspective. And, you know, we tend to, as humans, we don't really do that. But if you really stop and are aware and you think, well, wait a minute, I don't know what's going on in their life. Let me think how it might be right. in their shoes. It's, it's right. not personal. Most things are not personal. They're not. They're not, it's somebody's baggage that is causing them to do whatever it is, and it's not a personal attack or whatever. So, you know, and then we and speak to that a lot here on the show. So, yeah, that's a yeah, good point. Yeah, um, And that's yeah. part of the story, too, is, is that um, yeah. learning, hearing, what, why did that person do what they did and, mm-hmm. and that isn't working or didn't work or, you know, and how is there a resolution to it or is there not a resolution to it or is it still open, you know, to right. find out. So, um all, all um, things to consider in the broader picture of just, you know, we're all human and we do relate one way or another. And, and as I said, this book has it covers so many different aspects of, of being human. So it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful work. And we are almost at the top of the hour, Katie. I want to okay. thank you for joining us here on Energy Awareness Radio. But oh, before we go, pleasure. would you please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and where they may purchase your book, Elizabeth's Landing? Okay. You can certainly learn more about me at my website. Uh, as um, T has been saying, it's Katie, K-A-T-Y, P as in Peter, Y-E, dot com. And on the website uh, is an About Me page that gives you a little of my background. Uh, you can, uh, there's a, a section called Elizabeth Landing, the book. You can find out more about the book or the awards there and where to purchase it. It is available widely. Um, through your local independent bookstore. Please support your local indies if you can, and uh, certainly Amazon. It is also in digital format, so iBooks and Nook and um, Kobo, et cetera, are all supported. So I hope you will um, give it a thought. And there are f- the first four chapters are available on my website at uh, Elizabeth Landing the Book for free for you to get a taste of what it's like. 
So and you thank will love you it so because, much. Oh, you're quite welcome. You, you people, you will love this book. It, it will, it, it, it's destined to be a classic. I'm quite sure. It's just such a great book. <laughs> one last, one last plea is if you do read it and you do such things as reviews on uh, Goodreads, Amazon, or anywhere else, um, please put one up there. Whatever you think about it. That's great. The good point. I mean, I do that after every show for the authors. So you know, if the people who are reading the book can do that too, every little bit helps. It so listeners, I need it does. We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends because we live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the books to do just that. So send the link to this show, to everyone you know, and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so that they can learn and grow and make a world better place as well. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the remainder of this year. And if you are not in the area and you cannot make one of my Quartz Crystal Singing Bowl concerts, please go to my website. You can order my CD, Imagine, from the site, which is the Quartz Crystal Singing Bowls. And there's also my new CD, The Healing Sounds of Christmas, which was released on October 1st. And it's now available on my site as well. That CD contains 26 traditional Christmas carols played in a non-traditional way because the instrument is a quartz crystal harp. And that is a new instrument. Actually, the patent is still pending. I think there are only five of us in the world who actually own this instrument. And this may be the first CD of this type, healing music from a quartz crystal harp on a CD. So I'm told that it is hauntingly beautiful music, and the CDs are really selling quite quickly. So go to my site, quantumwellness.org, and order your copy of The Healing Sounds of Christmas today so you have it in time to enjoy the holidays or perhaps buy it as a gift for others to enjoy as well. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. It's not a hand.